I had a, a moment where I almost fell into the, the shiny hotness trap. It seems like every other podcast will at some point mention Veet and how amazing mm-hmm. Veet is. And so I opened up in a tab in the browser just to, to look into it. I've never tried it before. And it's a compiler and it does some really crazy stuff and, and super fast. And then, and then I, I left the tab open for a day or two. And finally, yesterday, I came back to it. And I'm like, I already have some of the compiled JavaScript. And like, I closed the tab and I felt like such a wave of relief. I'm like, yeah, that was about to be a huge rabbit hole that probably wasn't going to yield a whole lot in terms of my day-to-day productivity. See, so like, you've gotten older. You've gotten yeah. more, more cynical, like, just like me. <laughs> You're listening to Working Code. And now your hosts, who wish they were Boolean, so the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 124. And on today's show, we are going to talk about how we all are juniors for life. But first, before we do what's usual, I have two announcements. One, I am going to announce that we are going to be suing Sentry, the the bug tracking company, because they have a new new tagline. Uh, It says, working code. Happy customers, and that I I cannot let this injustice That's our stand. <laughs> That's our brand. Did, did yeah. we trade? Did we trademark it? Can you do that retroactively? <laughs> <laughs> and second, second announcement: I'm starting a GoFundMe to sue. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. Love Sentry, not sponsored, but uh, I'm a customer. Very happy hey, with it. As long as they don't have your heart matters, you know we'll. we'll... <laughs> Which I stole from some child off the internet. <laughs> some little four-year-old, you heartless yeah. monster. Yep. But first, as usual, let's start with our triumphs and fails. Carol can't be with us tonight. She is stuck in traffic in the apparently pretty bad storms in Georgia right now. Yeah, we're under tornado watch. So yeah, hopefully she's safe driving around. So if Tim goes missing, then mm-hmm. watch out for flying testicles. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like fresh back from my vacation, it is my turn to go first. I listened to your show last week, guys, by the way, and I enjoyed it. Good job. Thanks. But yeah, my turn to go first. I'm going to go with a triumph. In addition to having just returned from a week off of work to take my family out to the Grand Canyon, nice little vacation. I have just finished, or by the time this airs, I should say, I will have finished another trip around the sun. So, you know, another year older, another year wiser. But then, you know, yeah, (laughs) that's the idea. But, you know, the real triumph here is I, back to work, been, you know, doing stuff and, and finally feel like I'm starting to make some actual, like, progress that is measurable on compliance stuff. Like, more than just writing policies and, and like, figuring out how this crap works. I'm actually, like, doing things that are checking stuff off the list instead of just making the list longer. How long has this been going? Too long. My, I don't my, remember it not going. <laughs> yeah. My, my my two word summary of compliance for business is that. <laughs> Quack that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, ugh, kill me. I hate it. But also it's good for the company and it feels good to get stuff done. So I'm calling it a try. At the uh, Grand Canyon, did you go out on that cantilevered glass platform? Isn't that something they have there? It is something that, that's available at the Grand Canyon. If you haven't heard, it's a pretty big place. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a large, <laughs> large hole in the ground. We went to specifically to the South Rim. There's like a, a 
I wouldn't call it a resort, but you know, it's a it's a a place there, right? An official like touristy spot. Gotcha. And it's not there. I believe that the the big glass floor that hangs out over the canyon is on the west rim. Ah. We we went to the south rim, and I, I've got lots of stuff you know to talk about there. Maybe we can talk about it some in the after show. But yep. uh, yeah, no, not there. Not that. Not not this time. Your pictures look great. Look like you guys Thank had you. a good time. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. How about you, Ben? What do you got going on? I'm going to go with a failure, which is just that I've been feeling kind of meh lately. I don't even know if I could describe it very well. I feel just rushed. If that that's like the closest thing, I feel like I'm rushing from one thing to another thing all the time. Like I haven't had a lot of, it hasn't felt like I've had a lot of free time, which is probably not even true. It's just like, that's just generally how I'm feeling right now. And uh, yeah, I don't enjoy it. Not loving the feeling. But I'm going to rally. Sound a little tired. I'm, I'm t- well, it's also 85 degrees here and the air conditioning's not working super well right oh, now. No. Yeah. Which is like also just frustrating because we had people come out like last week or the week before to prep the house. You know, like they looked at all the vents and the air conditioning, all that stuff to make sure it was ready to go. And apparently it was not ready to go. So it's, it's so tough. You know, I, I know so little about maintaining a house. So people come and they just say a bunch of stuff at you and you're like, well, you're the expert. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if anything that you're saying is true, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know how to, how to fact check any of it. So I don't know. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just mad. I'm just mad right it, now. It, it's tough, right? Because, you know, you're very likely to get swindled to like replace your furnace at some point if you don't know, you know, what to check and to get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. That sort of, like, if you get a, a disreputable company to come in and do some service they're likely to, to try to soak you for something. Yeah. I would say some of the best advice I ever got about home ownership, since I'm not a fixer upper kind of person, I don't, I'm not a handyman when it Me comes either. to that sort of stuff is to get a home warranty. So oh, I yeah, use talked about that before. American home shields. So I use them. And so what's nice is you don't have to worry about like finding a reputable person. They're going to send someone out there and it's their best interest to, to get it fixed, but they're going to do it as cheaply as possible that they can, because they don't want to spend a whole lot of money either. I think they've, we had a, in our old house, the, before we moved to our, to our house, you know, 2010, the other house we had, I think they like repaired the air conditioner like six, seven times <laughs> <laughs> before they finally just realized they just needed to replace it 100%. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's nice not to, like right now our, our, our dryer just broke. So you just, go on their website and they send someone out there. You don't have to worry about it. They schedule the call and they show up and do it. So that'd yeah. be my advice to you is like, just get a home warranty system. And they do offer like, like proactive, like they send me a message every spring and say, Hey, time to like, you know, do some maintenance on your air conditioner. And you know, they're, they like doing that kind of stuff. Cause that saves them money in the long run. Like right. if they can, if they can, do that correctly and they're not going to suggest a, a repair because they don't want to repair it. They want to make sure it doesn't need repairing. Right. Cost right, right. Them more. So yeah. That's my I'll, advice to you. I'll bring it up with the missus. She, she handles all the house maintenance and setting appointments and stuff. She'll do the research. Cause I can handle like 60, $70 a month outlay, but it's like yeah. $2,000 all at once unexpected. No, uh-uh. I, yeah, I don't want to yeah, do yeah. that. So. Is that something that you can do? After you've been in the house for a while, or do you kind of have to get it within moving no, it in? Does it, you can do it anytime. That there's mm-hmm. no no cool off period or anything. I, I think you sign up and you have to wait a month before you submit your first claim. That way, you're not just 
waiting until something breaks. Right, and, and canceling, yeah. All right, well, that's me. Tim, what do you got going on? So I'm going to go with a try. It's been a busy week. My, my weeks are you know, usually pretty quiet and pretty steady and just meetings and executive stuff and a bit of programming. But I did a fair amount of programming this week. And actually, some of it was pretty difficult problems to solve. The problems themselves were, I thought at first, like pretty involved. But then, and I'm not saying this to brag, but because for years, you know, I dealt with spaghetti code. Some of it I inherited, some of it I wrote, and just code that you have, if you need to make a trivial change, it is a big, big deal. Well, I, you know, I had some pretty significant changes to make, but because I followed good software practices mm-hmm. and like, like having good inheritance patterns and, and, you know, just making sure everything has functions and that, you know, they're testable, it, it actually turned out, it's like, I thought, okay, this is probably going to take me three days. And I knocked it out in about, six hours nice in one day and then just turns around at the customer and said hey it's ready to go and they're like wow okay thanks <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it when they, they think it's going to be super super hard and then and so do i and then i turn around and it's like yeah it's probably going to take me three days and then six hours later i'm like okay it's done I'm like oh this is great yeah. thanks so yep. that just it's a good feeling but yeah that's that's after like decade in over a decade of just doing things wrong and then finally figuring out how to do it right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Under promise, over deliver. Yep. Well, I wasn't under promising. I really thought it would take three days. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's me. It's just, that, that just, that's a good feeling when you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I, I don't feel like I've gotten better at this, but I guess the results can't lie. I actually probably have gotten better at this in the 20 something years I, I've been doing this. Yeah. Well, I think cool. that ties into the topic of the show as well. Well, imagine that. Imagine that. that. <laughs> so I guess we should say this episode is inspired by a YouTube video that we saw. It's called 15 Years of Dev in a Nutshell. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. And I guess if I could summarize the whole video, it's a guy kind of talking you through his career so far. He talks about like he was fresh out of high school. He heard you can make a lot of, make a lot of money doing development so he was like i guess i should do that and then his journey from there and how like okay he, he learned some stuff he thought he was pretty good at it he, he was like javascript seems easy so i'm gonna list it as an expert on my resume and then later he realizes like oh wow actually i don't know about that. so i'm gonna put that put that down as a beginner it was kind of so, like a javascript fatigue except applied to an entire career not just yeah. javascript mm-hmm. yeah for sure so, and like, you know, when you watch the whole video, I was like, he, he, he does a good job of making it like humorous and entertaining to watch. But at the same time, there's a, a very real and true line of like, this is, there's a, it's all based on truth, if not entirely perfectly true, right? Like you, stuff changes every, every year, every month, constantly, you, you are constantly having to learn some new skill you know they're releasing new versions of javascript now the you know you know if you were a java developer then they had kotlin and you know there's javascript to typescript and you've got angular and react and vue and all these other things like you know if you don't try to pay attention and continue to learn throughout your entire career i think you're going to that's the message for me it's like if you if you don't stay on top of it and continue to evolve with the technology then you will become obsolete 
But at the same time, there there needs to be measure to it because kind of what he was saying in the video is he would jump on something and then feel good about it. And then it turns out like, oh, actually that thing is not the hotness anymore. And they yeah. go back to doing other stuff. If I can, if I can throw a little anecdote in here for a moment. It, I mean, it's a podcast. That's the whole point. It's a podcast. <laughs> Let me anecdote. So this is actually very timely because at work, I have been spending the last week or so revamping an area of the application, having to do with database performance. There was a, I've been, I've been examining the slow query logs in our MySQL instance. And I kept seeing a couple of users who were running queries that were looking at like hundreds of thousands of records and the query was running for like 30, 40, 50 seconds. And that's for a user-facing feature. So that was obviously pretty unusable for them. So I mm-hmm. went in and I started to refactor some of the queries. And in order to make the queries more performant, I had to sort of change the shape of the data a little bit, which means that I had to go into the front end and start to change the way that the data was being consumed. And I had to cut out some stuff that like, we're just going to quietly remove that from the app kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So that feature that was never there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this area of the app was built basically right after React Redux was like at peak hype. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, oh, we should try to move some Redux patterns into this area of the app. And the team I was on, we're all looking at each other and like none of us have ever actually done Redux before, but it seems so cool and so exciting. And so I have now been going back into the code, which is at this point like six years old, I think. And it's just a freaking nightmare. <laughs> I, I ended up having to cut out like so much of this complicated caching logic and like handler registration and and optimistic updates. And I replaced like hundreds and hundreds of lines of code with just like, oh, is something changed? Just refetch the data from the server. Mm-hmm. And from a user experience standpoint, it's like basically exactly the same. Maybe there's, you know, 30 milliseconds of delay between the thing that you do and the data that renders. And uh, it just, uh, to me, it feels so kind of on point with this idea where we just sort of blindly jumped on the new hotness, thinking that it was going to solve all the problems. And now revisiting it six or seven years later, realizing that it was only really introducing a lot of complexity, but not really making the app any significantly better. And I, I should have just stuck with a much more basic approach to begin mm-hmm. with. This is very l- relatable. We have an application that we wrote, again, sort of at the, on maybe near the peak of Redux hype on the way up the hill there. And we had, it it took a lot of work for my team to get our heads around the Redux patterns, the like dispatchers and composing your data into the components and all of that. And we we figured it out and the app works and, and you know, no complaints about that, but it's not an application that we are in there changing on a daily basis or even like a monthly basis. You know, this is an application that is stable and fine, untouched for, you know, minimum of like six months at a time, sometimes a year or two, right? And so to go back after a year or two and look at it, you kind of have to relearn the whole thing all yeah. over again because mm-hmm. because we're not using Redux everywhere else. And it is, I think for me, that was a big lesson from that project was like, if you get to that level of complexity where you're learning like five, six new concepts to just make this one technology work, then it needs to be something that you're going to continue working on 
on a daily basis or, or close to daily basis in perpetuity. Because yeah. if you don't, then those skills are going to regress, atrophy, and it'll just it'll become a maintenance nightmare. Hmm. So one thing, I watched the video as well, and one thing I found alienating, because his, I guess his life pattern was very much different from mine. Sounds like he, out of high school or college, whatever, kind of jumped around a lot, which was, isn't me. I've, you know, I've been in one software company pretty much for my entire life. And, you know, I'm probably about 10, 10, 12 years away from retiring. So it's like, hopefully, hopefully I can keep, keep on this ride. Yeah. You're probably like the very last person on the planet who stays in the same company their entire life. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. So yeah, I, I, I'm maybe I'm the the outlier, Tim. Yeah. I'm the outlier. (laughs) I'm the outlier. But yeah, but you know, he was constantly like learning new skills and putting on his resume. And then, you know, after a while, either the, the thing he learned, like, got two new versions and he's like, Oh, I realize I'm no longer an expert in this. So I got to say a beginner and, you know, me knowing, you know, how the hiring process actually works. You, I don't label myself beginner, expert, master or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. has two years experience with X, mm. right? Yep. Without any extra detail. Cause you know, you do get you, if you, and like we were saying earlier, if you don't do a thing on a daily basis, you're going to have to, uh, relearn it i mean even sometimes like there's tags in cold fusion which i've you know known for years it's like i haven't used this tag in forever i gotta go look up i, I don't remember how it works or, mm-hmm. or what it does so i gotta go look those and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but I, I do agree with the sentiment that we because just the nature of our job changes a lot it's not like banking where banking very rarely changes right it's been it's been the been that way since the the templars were were moving money from jerusalem to the <laughs> to, to england right because it changes so much it's like yeah you're, you're always going to have to learn new stuff you're always going to feel like a junior and that's okay I, I don't i don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you recognize it and unless you're lucky like me and just you know can stay in the same company for until you retire. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the inspiration for the show too, right? It's like, we want to normalize that. Like, that's a totally normal and expected thing, especially now, right? I think it yeah. was less true when our forebears were writing COBOL, right? You know, for like, sure. it didn't, there wasn't like, you know, a new version of COBOL every year like there is now with JavaScript. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's normal. This is, this is life now. This is what you signed mm-hmm. in. So, okay. We know that I am a little too aggressive on the like side hustle thing. I'm money focused or whatever. And, and and I'm constantly fighting back ideas of like things I could do to make a little bit of a extra side cash, right? And so one of the things that goes through my mind when I'm considering projects or whatever, like if I were to, we've talked about me possibly doing like a taffy course, right? The, one of the things that turns me off about the idea of doing something like that or, you know, anything even in that ballpark is the... F, basically, when you when you create something like that, you are stepping onto a treadmill, right? It's right. going to keep moving, and you have to continue to put out more content. To you know, your that business model is basically like go give away a bunch of value for free, so that people know who you are and they trust you, and they know that they can they like your teaching style, and then offer them something uh, a premium product like a, a training course or something, and hope that you can make a living on that, right? That's sort of like the the West Boss business model. And while the idea of like making a course and and having potentially quote unquote passive income sounds awesome, I don't think that that's the reality. I think that mm-hmm. most people that do that end up, you know, like 
on that treadmill and you know, every Monday they wake up and they're like, okay, I have to come up with an Instagram post today and mm-hmm. I need something for TikTok and I need to make a YouTube video and I have to yeah. have you know, five interesting tweets. And like, and for me, I would absolutely prior prioritize that after my day job. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to reach like escape velocity on, on side projects. Right. I just want beer money or I want something that'll pay for my skydives. <laughs> right. Right. And it, and, and let me live a, a lavish lifestyle, I guess. That would be, right? If we're talking about like what I actually want, but I, I don't want to do the work. I don't want to, I don't do that. But I think that my point after all this rambling is that when you sign up for this career, that's kind of what you're doing. You're, you're signing up for a treadmill of learning. And if you don't yeah. enjoy the learning part, you're, you're going to find it difficult. Well, and it's very much a career in my experience of sort of two steps forward, one step back. Mm. It's like you're you're constantly making follies in what you think is a best practice or a best approach or an interesting technology only to get enough experience with it to realize that it isn't necessarily as great as you had hoped it was or it's mm-hmm. not as applicable as you hoped it was or just doesn't solve the problems that you had hoped it was. And then you you sort of rebalance where you're like, yeah, but it will be good for this one thing, so I'll keep it in my back pocket, but I'm going to focus more on something else because it's more of a known quantity. It's you sort of have to be comfortable with a lot of sort of stumbling, I think, in order to to stay sane. Yeah. And, and I, I think kind of age and experience kind of plays into this too. So when you're younger, you don't really know a whole lot. So it's okay that you spend a whole lot of time trying to figure something out and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't work out. I mean, I, mean, I just think of all the time I killed my teenage years and early twenties, just messing around with different technologies and really not getting far with them. But the, the, the level, the fear of failure really wasn't there because there was Mm -hmm. no consequence to fail. And then as you get older and you actually are productive, then there's sort of a more conservatism there that, you know, do I really want to spend a whole lot of time learning, you know, X new hotness and not really sure that it's going to benefit me as much as I know that I have been benefited in the past. And so I, I think that can sort of be a, I, I, I wouldn't say that I've never shied away from learning new things, but I definitely look at things that are new more skeptically mm-hmm. than I did when I was young. When, when I was young, it was like, oh, this is cool. I would just randomly pick something because it just tickled my fancy at the time and like spent a whole lot of time figuring it out. And now that I'm older, I'm like, that's yeah, cool, but you know, I could probably do this pretty well with out learning this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the, the the benefit or the curse of knowledge and experience. <laughs> For sure. And I mean, I guess it, it's worth mentioning too that there can be a downside to to learning new things too. Like for me right now, I've kind of jumped into a very deep hole of learning Svelte and SvelteKit mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm loving it. Really? I, yeah. In case I haven't mentioned it. You haven't mentioned it? Not today. <laughs> and it's great. I love it. But what the consequence of that decision is, is now I kind of hate working on React stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we've got all this React code and I'm like, eh, I really would rather not. Does somebody else want to work on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go, I'll, I'll handle tickets or something for the day. Somebody else work on this React crap. Ugh. Yo, I have yeah, such extreme schadenfreude, right? That's like a enjoyment mm-hmm. in other people's suffering because uh, I was such an Angular fan and I am, I am a huge Angular fan. And because I feel like React stole the spotlight from Angular, 
anytime I hear anyone have any complaints about React, which, by the way, is like a growing wave of emotion, I'm like, <laughs> F yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I I get that. Like the new thing that you're super excited about, all you ever see when there's a problem is how can I fix it with this, right? Mm-hmm. So for you, it's like, oh, this React problem. Oh, it'd be so much easier in Svelte if we were just if we were just using that. But you're not, so I'm not 100. percent So you gotta yeah. get a solvent React. Yeah, I guess. So the thing, one of the things that I like the most about Svelte over React is the simplicity of the syntax. And, and like, so with modern React, you have like hooks, right? So you have to, you know, you like use use effect and use state and, and you know, you might need use memo to do memoization caching type stuff. And it, it gets, I guess the pro- my problem with hooks is that they are a little bit cryptic, right? Like use effect yep. just means that something is happening outside of the application, right? We could be doing data fetching. We could be doing, you know, updating you know, side effects like changing something about the browser window or whatever, right? Like, and and so it's not immediately clear while you're reading it. And then plus, I feel like it has encouraged this style of like super long, super deeply nested code, right? So you open up a React component where, you know, five years ago, it might have been 50 lines, 100 lines. And now you look at it and it's, 5,000 lines long and maybe 5,000 is a bit of an over-exaggeration, but you get my point. And And, and it's got like 12 levels of indentation with so many like inline functions and you're like, really? (laughs) This is is the best we can do in 2023? Mm. I don't know. Well, I always felt like (sighs) JavaScript is actually a relatively simple language. I mean, like there's Mm -hmm. really just not a lot of constructs in it. Yeah, yeah, it's getting more complicated, but it's like there's functions, there's objects, there's lexical scope, which is probably like the hardest thing for anyone to understand. And there's like the this binding. What does this point to? And like basically all of JavaScript is some combination of those things. And so that was the thing that always drove me crazy when people would talk about how great React was because like you got to get closer to the JavaScript. I'm always like, the JavaScript is the easiest part of all of this. Like, all of the complexity is wiring together massive applications and maintaining mm-hmm. them over time. Like, I don't know. It just, I felt like people were so focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that maybe, like, so the something, this is something I've been thinking about for a little while. Like, the kind of the difference between a junior developer and a senior developer, specifically when we're talking about JavaScript. To me, right now, I would describe it as like a a junior developer can take frameworks and libraries and glue them together and make stuff work, right? A senior developer understands the fundamentals of the language, doesn't necessarily need a framework, but it can be a more productive way to do things, a a better way to share code, et cetera, et cetera. And, And like having that knowledge of the fundamentals, which you can carry from framework to framework and from job to job is so profoundly useful, right? Like, and also that's a huge difference between the education that you get going to college for computer science and going to like a boot camp to learn how to code, right? At a boot camp, they teach you here's jQuery or here's React and here's how you make it do stuff. Whereas when you go to college, it's like, okay, 
here's how a computer thinks about memory, right? Mm-hmm. And here, here's what a CPU does. And, you know, let's, let's talk about linear algebra and that yeah. kind of stuff. Oh, no more math. <laughs> uh, I yeah. loved it. That was my favorite, man. My, my son, Max, he's talking about his college courses and he's taking discrete mathematics and he's like, oh yeah, I can count in binary now. And he, like he, doing graphing. And then I'm like, Okay, that's clearly learned that, but I don't think I've ever needed to count in binary in my entire career. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe he'll be a Rust developer. There you go. Rust is a good language. Yeah, I've looked at it a little bit, like literally just a little bit in, in some people's YouTube videos and stuff. It looks interesting. To me, it looks like C, but more confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, that was my take on it. I had a, a moment just, just yesterday where I almost fell into the the shiny hotness trap. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and it seems like every other podcast will at some point mention Veet and how amazing Veet mm-hmm. is. And so I opened up in a tab in the browser just to, to look into it. I've never tried it before. And it's a compiler and it does some really crazy stuff and, and super fast. And then, and then I, I left the tab open for a day or two. And finally, yesterday, I came back to it. And I'm like, I already have something that compiles JavaScript. Like, is that really what's holding me back right now? Is having a slightly faster compiler? Do I really need to be spending cycles <laughs> looking to right. this? And like, I closed the tab and I felt like such a wave of relief. I'm like, yeah, that was about to be a huge rabbit hole that probably wasn't going to yield a whole lot in terms of my day to day productivity. So, so like, you've gotten older. You got yeah. more, more cynical, <laughs> like just like me. What did you call it? Veet? Veet. Yeah, it's a it's, French word meaning fast. It's a, how you spell it? V I T E. Oh, see, I thought you said V E E T, like the stuff that removes hair off your bikini line. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> I've Googled it. I'm like, all I saw was like your bikini area, wiki how. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's what he was talking about. I mean, absolutely, there's a time and a place for everything and a, and a time that it's not worth the investment. I think that it's a lot easier if you have the opportunity to start Greenfield on a project or something like some sort of satellite service, or if you're starting a, a company from from the ground up, whatever. Like starting with Veet makes a heck of a lot of sense because it is faster by like at least an order of magnitude, if not multiple. Yeah. And yeah. so it's very cool. I'm not yeah, trying to downplay it. It just Right. And and the thing that I like about it, I mean, Veet is baked into SvelteKit, right? That's what they use as their build tool chain. And one of the the great parts about SvelteKit is that you don't have to do any of that config. Like you just mm-hmm. install, you, know, you like do npm create Svelte at latest or whatever the command is. You just copy and paste it from Svelte.dev and and you get V set up and ready to go. And it it's really easy to turn on. Actually, when you run that command, it's like, okay, it gives you a little wizard. Like, do you want to use TypeScript? Do you want to use V for testing? Do you want to do this and that? Do you want ESLint and prettier and all that? And it'll install it and configure your whole project for all of that. And I think if you if you have the time to invest in it and you hate use if you hate your current build chain like if it's babel and and you've got a ton of like if it's frustrating to work on and it's slow it might be worth looking into vite because of the like seriously if you go from like a 30 second build to a 1 second build yeah yeah that's, that's 29 seconds you're saving which okay who cares it's 29 seconds but if it's 29 seconds 150 times a day yeah, totally. plus Plus, you know, every time you run your CI, plus, times however many developers, right? Like, uh, it adds up fast. And and you're also talking about, 
like, okay, if you're talking about running your CI, right? So if you're using GitHub Actions or whatever, right? So that means that you can run it, you can run 29 times more builds before you have to start paying for it because you've reduced it 29 times yeah. or whatever it is, 30 times. I don't know. Math is hard, but. Well, yeah. you know what? As we're talking about this, and this is maybe a little tangential, but sort of sort of on point, I think, is it feels to me like it used to be that you could incrementally adopt things. Mm-hmm. You know, a slightly different kind of database. You could try it in part of your app to see if it matches your your data model better, or or like a slightly different JavaScript library, sort of drop in and just start to use it a little bit and see if it helps you. And it feels to me like the technologies that are coming out now are are like a like a rip and replace. Like you mm-hmm. can't. It's like you. It, it doesn't feel like edge functions. Like I can't just really start to sprinkle in edge functions. It's like I start to have to fundamentally rethink the way I'm doing application development once I'm distributing processing and I have to think about databases and then I have to think about uh, build steps for static assets. It, it, it's, it feels less and less like I can just sprinkle little changes into my applications. And that's, that's a little overwhelming. Like it feels like you yeah. really have mm. to buy into an approach for it to be a value add. You can't just, you can't just experiment. There's a lot of risk there to do that, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that you're not wrong that there's a lot of change and, and some would say innovation going on in the space of like this library that you're using or framework, if that's what you want to call it, kind of owns a certain portion of your stack and and so if we're talking about like a an angular react view solid you know these things spelt <laughs> got to get it in there they they tend to have a very wide target or or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or uh, area of effect but at the same time and i think that that's just because we are seeing a lot of of people putting together ideas differently or relearning. <laughs> I feel like I've said this on the show before, but cyclical, everything seems to be cyclical, right? When I first started, when I got my first job out of high school, actually, while I was still in college, a lot of the people that sat near me spent their entire days working on green screens connected to a mainframe mm-hmm. and they were programming, right? We're not, we're not talking about just like using some old COBOL program to do accounts payable, although that was also going on. I'm talking about programmers. And that was like after the year 2000, right? 2000 to 2005-ish. And if you think about going from that to like React and, and now React server components and like all the things that have happened between there, right? You've got like Perl, for your CGI pages, you've got PHP and CFML, you've got C Sharp and all these other things, and just goes on and on and on and on. And then all the way at the other end of the spectrum, you've got where we are today, right? And I feel like when people come up with new ideas, they're like, I've got an idea for a neat thing, and it, it can do 60, 40 to 60% of what I did with my previous stack. And I, you know, I just want to play with it. I'm going to do the thing. And that, so like, for example, that's kind of where Node started, right? Like it can do, yeah, you can do an HTTP server. We'll we'll figure out the rest, right? (laughs) And then, you know, we just kind of let go of things from our our PHP days or whatever that like lessons learned. And we have to sort of relearn those lessons. And I feel like everything in this career is so cyclical. You know, we went from, from heavy client 
I'm sorry, heavy server, light client to heavy client, light server. And now it's kind of going back and you're getting a good mix. And it, it, it reminds me so much of like thin client access to a mainframe and then switching to a, a thick client where you had these like heavy client server applications. This was before, you know, web apps, right? We're just talking desktop applications. And although these days, thick is spelled with two C's. Or three. <laughs> three if you're good. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it blows my mind. And I think that we see a lot of these frameworks and tools coming out that are trying to figure out the best way to do this like wide view of the stack of, you know, like I, I want to allow you to make a web application that does all the best practices and they're, they're mixing and matching ideas and there's a lot of cross-pollination going on. And I don't think that there's, that's wrong. I think that we as web developers are not great at not getting hyped, right? We, if we could take a little bit more of a, a measured approach to the way that we respond to these things, be like, okay, yeah, that's cool. You know, let me know when it can do X, Y, and Z too, right? If that was how we thought about things, then I think that the ecosystem would be very different. But instead, we're like, ooh, React, shiny. Let me go, let me go do that. I want to make a, I want to make a, a native mobile app with React too. Can we do that? Sure, sure. We'll create React native, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and but at the same time, so so that is my. You're right, Ben. Right? That that is definitely happening. But at the same time, I think that we're seeing continued evolution and innovation in the small modules space as well, right? So you, like we had moment.js was the the sort of de facto date handling library for a very long time. And now it's really fallen out of favor. There's a couple of different options. The one that stands out in my mind is date FNS. Right, date, date functions. functions. Yeah. And, and now there's the, isn't there like a new one coming down the spec like the... You're talking the one that's, that's going to be like baked into JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. The temporal API yeah, temporal. things what it's called. Yeah. 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 And and like so so stuff is changing there too. And I think that those are those better fit what you were talking about, where you can kind of like mix and match, try something out a little bit, see if it works. I think and the the longer time goes on, the more people we have working in this industry, the more different not differentiation, what specialization, right? So mm-hmm. 10 years ago. I don't know, maybe 10 is not the right amount of time. I don't know. Like 2013? Well, yeah, I, I, whatever. DevOps, right? has not always been a thing. It used to be you had a, a guy sitting in a closet and you called him the sysadmin. And when the, the mm-hmm. website would go offline, you'd call his phone, right? And now we've got DevOps, which is like a whole career path in its own. Yeah. And Delert. Yeah. AWS, OpsWorks, and all these other things. <laughs> you got to figure out how to deploy. Infrastructure as code and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well the, well, the good news is that, you know, general AI is just pretty much going to all write it for us soon. So we don't. Sorry, I made Adam choke. I almost spit out my beer. Sorry. <laughs> don't waste it. Yeah, AI will take care of all that for us. Easy peasy. We'll, we'll, we'll just describe what we want and they'll figure it out. They'll write it in something. It won't be YAML. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yo, sorry. Quick side tangent about YAML. Wait, wait, wait. I want to establish something now. Never apologize for a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) It's what we do. I was listening to an interview with, I think it was a guy from Google, and he was talking about Golang and about YAML and how suddenly people were using YAML all over the place to configure 
Docker containers. And he was saying something like the original intent of YAML was never actually to be used by people. It was supposed to be the data format that the machines would generate so they could talk to each other. And like you were supposed to use an interface or some sort of higher level language that would eventually generate YAML. But he's like, no one was actually supposed to use it. It, That's not what it was meant for. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It is a a bizarre syntax. Yeah. The the thing is, you know, honestly, I think that the best thing that I've found would be JSON 5. But like that's, JSON five, what is that? Yeah, exactly. It's not really supported that by like with anything ever. Basically, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. That, that's, you just want to leave a comment in a file. Why should that be so complicated? Exactly. Right. Well, I will because say, you can't you can't eval it. That's why. Mm. One thing I don't know if it's West Boss or Scott Talinsky. One of them on on the syntax show will always bring up this idea that until the tooling makes a best specificity. Practice, <laughs> I just got to get that out there. I can say it. Specificity. Uh, that's a good one. Tooling. That it, until the tooling will make a best practice easy, it, people just won't uh, won't apply it. And and to your point about how you need these sort of all encompassing frameworks in order to make some of those things possible, because individually on their own, some of these things just really are very very non trivial. Like even even something that sounds like it should be simple, like Critical CSS, the idea that mm. you would inline CSS that's used above the fold in a page so that it doesn't have mm-hmm. to fetch it. But like to do that manually and maintain it over time, it'd be crazy. You'd have to have Absolutely. some sort of a build process that knows how to do that for you or even you know, serving up multi-density images so that your, your, one, your at 1x devices have a different image than your at 2x, than your 4Ks and your 8Ks. But like the reality is, is no one's generating multiple images by hand. Mm-hmm. And so you have to either have a framework that does it or well, you have to have a, a CDN that does it on the fly for you or something. Like there, there's so much in the way of, of adhering to best practices that's just not feasible, I think, from a let me sprinkle it into the way that I already do stuff. Like you really have to buy into a holistic application or delivery mechanism or build system or something. Yeah. And it's hard to convert something existing to the whole new paradigm. In fact, it's so hard. You probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) And that is why we are juniors for life. Mm -hmm. Always learning, always evolving. Not, Not a bad thing, but Hey, if you can just do one thing all your life, lucky. All right. I'll tell you one thing that, one piece of advice that I had learned, and this is from a, oh my God, his, his name just went out of my head. It's called a book. <laughs> Who's the, uh, the guy who did Closure? Who created Closure? Yeah, yeah. And he has a, he has a whole series of, of YouTube videos. One is like Simple, Simple Made Easy. Oh, or, Rich Hickey. Yes, Rich Hickey. Thank you. In one of his talks, he he drives home the point that data is simple and and like objects are complicated but data is simple and it's really easy to consume data and pass data around and i have i have leaned into that hard and that feels like a decision that just continues to pay off where i use simple data structures instead of over architecting something that could represent that data i just use the data and i feel really good about that in typescript like that's like the the bread and butter of typescript is basically saying hey this object should always look like this thing there you go you don't have to build anything around it but 
even and you just and you just pass the data in the URL the whole time. <laughs> just my entire application state right there in the in yeah, the, in the fragment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's something. There's like that's, little things like that where just you learn it once and you're like, oh yes, taking that. Honestly, like I, I feel like that might be one of the as the kids would say, that's a big brain move. Right, like having the entire application state in the the query string. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, you know everything old is new again. That'll probably be the next thing. Yeah, thing. I mean it, it's something I've seen Swix talking about. Sean Wang, we had him on the show, and and yeah. you know whatever he's a, a good guy, smart guy. You know, it, like why why do something more complicated than that when you can just you know whatever base sixty four it or something like that and throw it in the URL. <laughs> So. I was joking, but <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes that's where good ideas come from. Yeah. All right. Well, then this episode of Working Code was brought to you by our GoFundMe to sue the pants off of Sentry <laughs> for stealing our name and using it in their tagline. Your heart does not matter. <laughs> there <just>, doesn't. <laughs> and of course, listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and that you want to make sure we can keep putting more of content like this out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks go out to our top patrons, Monty and Jean Carlo. Of course, our patrons get our after show. And what is that? That is basically, we're going to keep the mics on after the show ends, and we're just going to keep talking about stuff. Sometimes it's more tech stuff, but most of the time it's just like life stuff. For example... On tonight's after show, I'm going to ask Ben how things are going with, does he still work on the legacy platform? Or, oh, I got uh, stories. Okay. Uh, looks like, is that Tim put this in here? The yep. Project Wolverine. We're going to talk about that. Can AI heal your bugs? So that's a little technical thing, or we'll probably just poke fun at, at AI. Um, or Wolverine. And, yeah. And, and well, we actually won't get to either of those things because as I said, I went to the Grand Canyon and I have photos. So I'm going to make my co-host sit through a slideshow. <laughs> oh joy yay good radio uh, so if if that's the type of content that you want then you can get that by helping us out and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash working code pod all of our patrons get the after show and they get all, all of our episodes early which I would I would guess is probably like a week and change early so for sure yeah that's a pretty good deal and your homework this week I would like you to tell a friend about the show you know, a friend, an enemy, you know, your pick based on how you feel about the show. Have uh, you heard about our Lord and Savior working code pod? <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, guys and girls, your heart matters. It really, really matters. Unless you steal our taglines. <laughs> You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.